Hello, everyone. In just two days, this nation will select the next leader of our country. And right now, we are feeling a deep tension in this nation. And that tension is real, is it not? I mean, emotions are high. I mean, what if my candidate does not win? What if I'm forced with another four years of this presidency? What if I'm forced with the possibility of eight years with a new president? And for everyone who feels this tension of uncertainty, let me remind you of one thing which is certain. God is ultimately in control. Look at these verses from the Psalms. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 103, verse 19. Psalm 47, verse 2 says, For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. See, brothers and sisters, God is ultimately in control, is he not? As I begin this sermon, I want to remind you that much of what I'm going to say has been gleaned from others whom I respect and trust. I am, I am not an expert on politics. But let me ask you a question. Are we willing to be Christ followers first and Republicans and Democrats or Libertarians and Independents second? As I asked two weeks ago, am I willing to put my faith filter ahead of my political filter? See, as followers of Jesus, Jesus often creates this tension in us between our political party and Jesus. This tension is created between his words and my political platform, which leads to tension created between me and my political candidate. How difficult is this? I mean, to, to recognize this tension Jesus creates within us, it's extremely difficult. Why? Why? Because many of us trust in this world more than we trust in the one who created this world. Many of us have ears that do not want to hear what Jesus has to say. And instead of placing our faith in the sovereignty of God, we rely on the might of our political party. So, believe what you want to believe. Vote for who you want to vote for. But put your trust and hope in the one who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Now, let's go down a side road here. For those of you who feel the call to enter the public service, to engage in participating in this political realm, if you feel that calling, praise God. I mean, we need more Christ followers engaged, engaged in service to our country. Do we not? Over these past few years, I've had the opportunity to engage with many of our public servants, our U.S. senators and representatives, our state representatives and senators, both Republicans and Democrats. And many of these men and women are godly individuals who serve our country and our state with honor and integrity. And if you have the desire and opportunity to serve our state or our nation, please do so. Now, back to our discussion that Jesus often creates this tension between us and our political party. Here's an interesting fact. <laughs> it, it, it may create some tension. 
if someone asked me to come up with sermons that would justify the Republican platform, I could probably do that. And if someone asked me to come up with sermons that would justify the Democratic platform, I could probably do that too. For the Libertarians, the Independents. Why? Why? Because every political party wants Jesus on their side. Every one of them. Everyone desires to justify their political views, believing Jesus is on their side. Tony Evans, though, put it this way. Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Jesus came to establish a kingdom of heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's an upside-down kingdom where values are different, where love is foundational, and grace and mercy and justice are paramount. It is unlike the world's kingdoms, and it's unlike many of our preconceived ideas of kingdom. How many of you remember the greatest ethics, ethic of God's kingdom? Remember, we've talked about it a lot. The greatest ethic of God's kingdom is what? What is it? It's love. Love. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus tells us in Luke 24 that all scripture from Genesis to Malachi is formed out of these two commands. Therefore, the ethic of God's kingdom is love. Love of God and love of others. And here lies the tension. The tension for believers, at least. The tension that is created between Jesus and his new kingdom ethic and our politics. The kingdom of God will always be in conflict with the kingdoms of men. And the kingdom of God will always be in conflict with our political party and our political candidates. We know this, don't we? We believe this to be true, don't we? We recognize the power of God's kingdom don't we? We are called to lay down our lives for God's kingdom. Are we? We are called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Are we? Brothers and sisters, we have a kingdom that is founded upon the rock. Do we not? And all other kingdoms are upon the sand. Aren't they? And brothers and sisters, we live in a tension of choosing where we will plant our feet. On the rock or on the sand? I hear your questions now. Why do I have to choose between the two? Can't my political platform and Jesus coexist? Sure. Sure, absolutely they can if this is conditional. If. Jesus is Lord of your life. Lord of your life. Lord. Meaning, I spend more time with my Lord and on that which breaks his heart.
the fatherless, the widows, the poor, the sick, the disenfranchised, the hurting, the burdened, the injustice in our society. You get my drift? And I also spend more time on that which pleases his heart, serving, caring, forgiving, worshiping, praying, showing mercy, loving my neighbor. Again, you get my drift? Jesus spoke these words in the sermon we've been studying on Sunday. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Matthew 6, verse 24. And brothers and sisters, in many ways, politics has become a religion. We spend more time on our political dogma than we do on our reading our Bibles. Our television channels are turned to the cable channel of our candidate. Our conversations, our social media, our comments online are about the promotion of our candidate. Kerry Newhoff put it this way, when Christians lose their minds, people lose their faith. I shudder to think how many people are losing faith right now because Christians are losing their minds and losing respect of outsiders. Christians should be fueling the solution, not fueling the problem. In a season where the church should be gaining ground by many measures, we're losing. And this matters more than you think. Influence takes years to build and seconds to lose, does it not? Despite what you think, God is not a Republican, God is not a Democrat, and he is not an independent. The church ought to be an alternative to culture, not a reflection of it. And yet we continue to push theology of politics. And we wonder why our churches are not growing and division exists in every segment of Christ's church. Brothers and sisters, this is a war of worldviews, is it not? The spirit versus the flesh? Let me turn our focus back to that upper room, that the place where Jesus prayed that we all be one as our Heavenly Father is one. And we spoke about the importance of this unity two weeks ago. Do you remember why unity was so important to Jesus? These are his words. These are his words, not mine. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be, all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. John 17, verses 20 through 21. Unity is the cornerstone for a world believing in Jesus. Unity. Before Christ's crucifixion, of all the topics he could have designated as a cornerstone of his church, that which we believe is most important, discipleship, serving others, worship, and evangelism, they did not make the list. Jesus implores his followers to be unified. It is his prayer. I want you to be one as I am one with my Father. It's also in this upper room where Jesus puts forth a new commandment, a new commandment of love. 
Now let me refresh your memory of this passage, and we read it two weeks ago. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34 through 35. Paul calls this the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When Paul uses this language, the law of Christ, it's shorthand for Jesus' new covenant command, this, this kingdom ethic of love. You may ask, well, how do I know when I'm fulfilling the law of Christ? How do I know when I am actually doing this? When the concerns of others concern you. One knows that we're fulfilling the law of Christ when the concerns of others concern us. So during this political season, the law of Christ ought to inform us how we live and how we respond to others. And as citizens of this new kingdom, we're to recognize the dignity of all people. This new ethic and that means we will love all people even during this political season. All people. And we will take our cues from Jesus on how to treat others, even those who disagree with us. And here's the question we must ask ourselves. What does love require of me? On Tuesday, your candidate will either win or lose on the number of electoral votes that candidate receives. And if your candidate loses or if he wins, I implore you to ask yourself this question before you open your mouth or pin words to any form of social media. What does love require of me? Why? Because our Lord, our Savior, is concerned about our hearts, our minds, our souls, our walk, our thoughts, and our talk. Christ desires my light shine so that His glory may be revealed in me. I know this may come as a shock to you. I know it may. But I don't think Jesus is concerned about my political affiliation. Is he? Is he? The Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of his heart. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. So when it comes to policy, platform, or politics, there, are all, well, there will always be disagreement among Christians. There will. Our Father does not look at one's political party. He looks at our hearts. There's a reason we disagree with one another so, so much politically. It is because where you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand depends on where you sit. It's called the Miles Law. Around a half century ago, Rufus E. Miles, a federal official in the Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson administrations, saw a developing crisis in the U.S. Congress and, and developed this, this mantra. 
He understood better than most how ideas are formed. It's called the Miles Law in states. Where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, where I sit is where I grew up, where I went to school, the income of my family, my friends, my relatives, my nationality, my gender, my race. All these things determine one's perspective, how I see things, my, my thought processes, how I think and how I interpret life. This is why many individuals do not see a conflict between their faith and their politics. We tend to use our religion, our faith, to prop up our political stance because where I stand is where I sit. One of the founding fathers of our movement, David Lipscomb, was a pacifist. He did not believe in voting or participating in war. He would not bear arms. David Lipscomb based his beliefs on the words of Jesus. His faith propped up his political stance where he stood depended on where he sat. Cordell Christian College was founded in 1907 in Cordell, Oklahoma, just 77 miles due west of us. At one time, it was the largest Christian college in our tribe. The college taught the doctrine of absolutism. In other words, the school was in opposition to any military duty whatsoever. When America entered World War I in 1917, there were lawsuits brought against the college for sedition in violation of the Espionage Act of 1917. The college shuttered their doors just three months before the war ended because of the backlash in the community due to their beliefs based on Jesus. See, where one stands depends on where one sits. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen to me, listen to me. Listen, our, our political views are not shaped in a vacuum, are they? My political views are shaped by where I sit. And if I recognize this, I'll reckon, I also recognize, now, now hang with me here. There are voices I may not have heard. There are the places where I have not sat. So, so, is it possible to learn and grow from others who hold an opposing view? You may say, is this even possible? But what if? What if? What if I would, not could, but what if I would open my hands, my ears, and my eyes, and have a conversation with another? who had a different political view than me. Could I do so in love and without judgment? Could I do so and keep my political views to myself? Could I do all this in love? Why? Because, brothers and sisters, listening without judgment is a sign of maturity. Listening without judgment is a sign of maturity. Right now, Deb and I have adult children who do not hold to our political persuasion. Anybody with me out there? See, when our family gathers, there are times when our conversations wander into the political arena. 
and where my children sit in their political views is much more important to them now than it was while growing up in our home. See, their current political views have been shaped by their spouses, their education, and their life experiences after they left home. We come, Deb and I, to the table as learners, as ones willing to consider another viewpoint. Do you think judging them will win Deb and I any points? No. So how do we manage our thoughts and our reactions? Love. Love. It's our kingdom ethic, is it not? So how do I manage my thoughts and my reactions? Here's what I've realized. I love my children much more than any political party. I also serve a kingdom that is not of this world. And I desire to live for Jesus and not for man. Do you remember Jesus' answer to Pilate when he asked the question, Are you a king? Jesus answered Pilate when he was asked that, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And like Pilate, who was representing, who was a representative of Rome, God offers guidance to those who lead nations. Listen. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Brothers and sisters, this tension between national leaders, rulers, kings, and their lack of fear of God is real. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of this world, and he gives them to whoever he pleases. So, what does this mean for this nation? What does it mean for you and for me? And why is it so important that we be a light to those around us? Did you know there's not a historian that would deny the sharp impact Christianity had on Western civilization? Not one. Jesus' teachings introduced the values of justice and fairness and dignity of all people in this world. All people. Many of the founders of our country were believers and many of the laws enacted during those days were due to the sharp impact of Christianity. This tension I see in our political arena, in large part, I believe is due to a nation that has pushed God to the sidelines. See, this isn't about religion. Hey, we, religion will always have well, it, religion will always have a place in this world, but God, His Word, the teachings of Jesus, they've been lost in the public square. And as a whole, as a whole, believers have placed their trust in a candidate instead of placing their trust and faith in Jesus.
Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And brothers and sisters, no matter who is elected on Tuesday, we as believers will get up on Wednesday knowing that God is in control, right? And we will get up on Wednesday seeking to do good to all people, right? And we will get up on Wednesday with a hope that few people have, right? And brothers and sisters, I ask that you pray for our leaders. Be involved in the political process. Vote for your candidate. But on Wednesday, get out of bed, put on your shoes, and walk in the narrow way of righteousness and faith. It's a walk that is hard, and there is much tension, but it's a walk that leads to life, life everlasting. Oh, I pray that you will make Jesus Lord of your life. And you will remember that God is in control. I love you very much. May God bless you.